Hello, this is Patty Davis. I'm a psychic medium and intuitive, and I'm coming to you from Humboldt County, which is in Northern California, where the redwood trees meet the ocean. Aloha, my name is Jude Lynch, and I am a psychic intuitive energy healer, hailing from the island of Kauai, the garden island of the Hawaiian island chains. Welcome to Spirit Speakers Podcast, where we meet to discuss a variety of topics from two different psychic vantage points. Aloha, this is Jude, and Patty and I are going to be discussing astral projection today. In addition to that, we'll also be sharing some ghost stories in celebration of Halloween and Samhain. Halloween originated from a Celtic pagan festival called Samhain, and this was done to welcome the harvest and usher in the dark half of the year. And according to Irish mythology, it was a time when the doorways to other worlds opened, allowing supernatural beings and the souls of the dead to come into our world. I'm also going to share a new song I wrote about one of my favorite ghost stories that I've been waiting to share with you. So if you feel like listening, that'll be at the very end. And Patty's going to break this one open and tell us what is astral projection. Hello and welcome. So I am going to tell you a little bit about astral projection, which some of you may also know as astral traveling. And I love this subject. This is so much fun. So what this is, is it is an intentional out-of-body experience. So our consciousness has the ability to separate from our physical bodies. We can experience the world within the same dimension and within other dimensions from a location outside of our bodies. And some of us have had out-of-body experiences that maybe weren't intentional. So it can happen intentional and it can also happen involuntarily. Involuntarily, we can have an out-of-body experience when we are faced with trauma. And we've talked about this in our grounding episode where sometimes when life is too much, we will leave our body out of safety because it's not safe to be in the present. So out of trauma, people with PTSD oftentimes have to deal with out-of-body experiences and disassociation, illness, lack of food or water, the dream world, anxiety, sleep disorders. These are all things that can lead to out-of-body experiences. And the other thing is near-death experiences. And most of us have heard stories about people that have clinically passed and have come back and how they talk about spending some time outside of their body as if they're floating in the room looking down on their body. I actually took a course in college on this called On Death and Dying. And it was studied really heavily by a psychiatrist named Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And if you have a chance to look it up and read about it, She's written a couple books on it. It's just fascinating. She took many, many people that had near-death experiences and categorized what they had gone through or how they describe it. And there were a lot of similarities that people had felt. So that's a perfect example of an out-of-body experience that you leave your body and you're actually floating around the room looking down at yourself. So when we are astral traveling what we're doing is we are intentionally having an out-of-body experience. Now, there's many ways to do this. You can do this through hallucinogens, hypnosis or self-hypnosis, um, yoga nidra, and we talked a little bit about that in our lucid dreaming episode. And that's when you go into a deep meditation just as you're falling asleep. Also through spiritual awakening and meditation. 
is when we can have these out-of-body experiences. So again, it's simply when our soul and our consciousness separates from our physical body and we can travel around, we can soar around throughout the universe. And this is something that I personally really enjoy doing. And Jude, I know you have experience with this. Do you want to talk about some of your experiences? You might be a little more experienced with astral traveling. I do something that I consider to be astral projection and astral traveling. And I think it's along the same lines because in my experience, I feel like I've had different levels of what that is. Like I've had experiences where I would be astral traveling right before I fell asleep and had a full on like lucid ejection from my physical body, just as you do when you're having a lucid dream and you are plopped into another reality. And it is just as hyper real as the physical, though you are not actually in your physical body. I've had that. And then I've had where I can achieve that during meditation. And it's like, I am consciously aware of me being physically present in the physical realm, but projecting my spirit body out towards people or into other places in order to pick up information. I do this in readings a lot. And I believe that's also a form of astral projection. And then I know that, as you said, when people have a near-death experience and they're saying they've ejected out of their bodies, I know that this sometimes can happen when people are in surgeries, even when they're in a very, very deep, relaxed, sedated state that they can leave their bodies and have experiences. When I experience astral projection, I feel like it's anchored in at my third eye crown area. I believe that that's what's written about by experts or people who study it. And one of the phenomenons that happen is when you're actually leaving, when your energy body leaves your physical body, sometimes you might experience a sound or a boom or a click or some kind of anomalous noise that emanates from your inner brain almost like an electrical sound that happens when your energetic body leaves your physical body. And I believe they say that we are attached through a silver cord that is associated with you still being linked to the physical body. So that way you can go and explore and search around, but you'll always be able to get back into your body through this cord. Supposedly that's the lifeline between you and your physical body. And some people I've heard have even experienced the cord. Like they've been able to turn around through astral traveling experiences and view the cord. I personally have not had that experience, but it's a thing. When I first heard of astral projection was in the early 2000s. I used to listen to this radio show called Coast to Coast with Art Bell. And he had this expert on there. I don't remember who it was, but he was talking about astral projection and how you could learn to master it through practice and meditation and actually leave your body and meet people in that astral realm, travel to places, go through time. And I thought that that sounded like the coolest thing ever. So that night after I, I got done listening to the radio show, I started applying a couple of the things that he was talking about. And I actually popped out of my body and I was so startled by it that it actually worked, that I plopped and slammed right back into my body. And it sort of felt like, you know, when you're kind of relaxed and laying on the couch and then you get that jumpy feeling that scares you and it seems to come out of nowhere. I really think that feeling comes from those moments when your astral spirit body is actually leaving. And then for whatever reason, it plops back in very quickly and you get that falling sensation and you kind of jolt. So that was my very first experience with it. And then after that, it was just over the next number of years, 
meeting other people, talking about it more and getting to understand what it is and how it works. Patty, what was your first experience with astral traveling? You know, Jude, I don't really know that I can pinpoint my first experience. I think this is something I did pretty young. I know I played around with it a lot when I was a teenager, and it's something that I do fairly regularly. You know, when you're astral traveling, you can travel within this dimension. When my grandmother was passing, she was in LA and I was in Northern California and I wasn't able to be with her. So I would astral travel to her and sit in her room with her. I would leave my body and travel there. And I would actually be there with her. And it's funny because then, you know, my mom would put her on the phone the next day and she'd say, honey, I just felt like you were here with me yesterday. And I'd kind of laugh to myself and say, yeah, I kind of was. And then you can also astral travel, as you mentioned earlier, to go collect information. You can travel out to collect healing energy. You can go to the Akashic Record. When I'm doing past life readings for people, sometimes I am viewing a past life, but most of the time I am actually there. And I consider that an act of astral traveling. We can go into deep meditation and have strong visuals as if we're experiencing it, but astral traveling it it feels a little bit different. And when you first do it, I think it can be kind of shocking um, because it does feel like physically leaving your body. And there is a sensation of leaving and returning. That's pretty specific and different from just a visualization. I have had some time traveling back into my own past lives, which were very clearly astral projection not reliving a visualization. There's one, and I think I've mentioned it before, where I was a man in India and I was walking down the street and I could feel the fabric of my clothing rubbing against my skin. I could feel the heat of the sun. I could smell everything. All my senses were there. Nothing was left in my physical body. That was a pretty strong astral travel for me. There are many different ways to astral travel. However, this is not something that you want to just jump into if you haven't done much grounding and centering. It's really important that we're able to ground and center so that we can leave and come back into our bodies. I like to have a tour guide take me out a lot of times. For me, I think I've mentioned before that I have my eagle come in, my animal totem. I will go into a deep meditation, ground and center. Then I will invite my eagle in. And I'm usually, for some reason, standing on the edge of a cliff. And my eagle comes and picks me up in its talons. And we start to fly out. And I can hear the whoosh of its wings and feel the wind. And then after a little bit of time, I become the eagle. And then I will travel to different sacred sites or I'll go visit people or check in on my loved ones. I've, you know, traveled up to the moon, to other planets, to the sun. I really like having a tour guide. You can have an archetype come in. You can have your animal totem. You can have a relative that's past, spirit guides that can come in. You can use sacred geometric shapes to help take you out. But you always want to make sure that you ground first. If you imagine that golden cord or that red thread, that you have something to help guide you back in. I've been talking about traveling within this dimension and time traveling, but you can also travel out to other dimensions that you haven't visited before. Sometimes if I'm just a little spiritually bored, I'll go into meditation and I'll just say, okay, just take me somewhere I haven't been. I need a new experience. I need an upgrade. I need something spectacular and new to come into my life, a new adventure. And so I'll have my guides take me somewhere where they think I should go. What about you, Jude? Have you used guides or totems or anything to travel out? I think that's a really good point because when I first started 
experimenting with astral projection, I was pretty naive and didn't really know what I was doing. And there's a lot to be said about being grounded and being guided by a higher vibrational spirit. After I had my first experience, after listening to that radio show and did it for just a few moments and was shocked by it, I started trying to practice it almost on a nightly basis. And I feel like I went like a couple weeks and nothing really happened. And then this one day I got out of my body. I distinctly remember I was standing in the room and I was so excited, like, oh my gosh, it worked. I can't believe it. And I went up to the wall and I put my hand through the wall. And that's how I knew that I was in my astral state. Yeah. And I looked at the texture on the wall and the woven threads and the fabric, you know, I was like looking at it in such detail and kind of tripping out about how real it all looked. And then I was like, well, can I fly? And, and I flew up into the air and I went out over the neighborhood and I could see all the cars parked and it was nighttime. And, and I'm thinking, this is a lot like lucid dreaming, except I was fully conscious of the whole process between meditating right before sleeping and ejecting out of my body. I was like, I'm going to test this. I'm going to go around the block and I'm going to see what car is there and then go back into my body. When I wake up, I'm going to go check if it's there. And I remember going around the block and I was looking at this car and I was going to read the license plate number and I couldn't read it. It kept shifting and blurring and doing all weird things. Like I couldn't actually get the letters. And it was so frustrating to me that the next thing I knew I snapped back in my body. That was one of my first experiences. And so the next time I did it, I did the same thing. I finally got to the place where I got out of my room I floated out of the house and I wanted to go down the street and I really wanted to test this. And I started panicking that I was not going to be able to get back in my body. And I started descending into the state of fear, like, oh no, what if I can't get back in my body? I've traveled so far away from my body. And then all of a sudden, this is going to sound really creepy, but it felt like I got grabbed by like 20 different hands all at the same time, like all over my body, not in a sexual weird way, but just like that I got grabbed from my feet to my head by all of these hands. And it was such a violating and uncomfortable feeling that I jolted back in my body and decided that I didn't want to do this anymore. I realize now in hindsight that, you know, in my early twenties, when I was playing around in those realms that I wasn't protected and I wasn't a very grounded person. I had no idea what I was doing. And I don't necessarily suggest that there was an ill-intentioned energy in there, but you are kind of playing with these interdimensional spaces and you would be naive to think that there wouldn't be some different energies playing within those vortexes. So Making sure you're really grounded, anchored, and your vibration is really high and you're feeling protected, I think is a really big part of that whole process. Now we're talking almost 20 years later, I feel so secure and so protected and I have such a strong relationship with my guide system that I don't worry about that anymore. I feel very much in control of that space. The only time I really for certain know that I have been traveling with a spirit guide is anytime I've done a shamanic drum journey. Whenever I've sat in one of those, there's a definitive meet and greet with a spirit guide, and then they take me out on a journey. They walk with me through different spiritual dimensions to uncover something about myself that is pertinent to my healing. So that's good advice and a great point. I've heard from other people too who did it that also had some unsettling experiences. Nothing too crazy or nothing too scary. I'm not trying to spook anybody out. 
when you put yourself in an environment that you're not accustomed to, and it runs by a totally different set of rules, meaning no time, no distance, and you've never really experienced that before, it can be a little shocking to your system. So doing a little research, knowing what you're heading into, and taking baby steps into it would be my suggestion. The one time that I astral traveled that I felt seriously uncomfortable, and, and we know that I'm a little bit of a control freak, is that I actually got into a place that I wasn't expecting and felt out of control. And I had set the intention clearly that I would return if I felt uncomfortable. And the minute I started to feel a little disoriented and a little out of control, I instantly was brought back in with my guide system, which was great. I believe I've talked about this briefly before too, is my grandmother had already passed and had come to me in a meditation. And I asked her what it was like on the other side. And she had offered to show me. She said, when you're ready, I can take you up there and, and show you what it's like. And I said, really, are you allowed to do that? And she said, yes, I can do that. And I was kind of afraid that I would like it so much that I wouldn't come back. <laughs> a lot of the information that I got in that course over the near-death experiences a huge majority of these people that had come back had wished that they hadn't returned because it was such a lovely experience. So I was really expecting to cross over into light and magic and this state of love, which I do believe is there. But when I left here, I passed through a place that was kind of dark, actually. You know, when I read people, it's kind of like I get to jump over to where the ghosts are into the light area most of the time. But I traveled through a space, a void between here and there, and I've traveled into the void many times in meditation and love going there. But this was pretty heavy and pretty dense. It was a place that I had not experienced before, and it kind of scared the shit out of me, to be honest with you. So I got that far, let go of my grandmother's hand, and kind of ran back to my bed as fast as I could. So I am a true believer, as you know this, about setting intentions. Whenever you are going to do anything and go out exploring, if you're doing some astral traveling or visiting with loved ones and going to other dimensions, it's important to set an intention on what you're willing to experience, what you're not willing to experience, and ask your guide system to bring you back instantaneously the minute you start to feel uncomfortable at all. You know, do you think those hands were your guides bringing you back in? Oh, no, 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 no. I oh, they don't were. think so. No. Oh. Like you said, it was like the space between one space and another space. You know, I theorize maybe that there's a few little varying dimensional frequencies that happen as you're in that crossing over state. And I kind of find it funny that you were scared and let go of your grandmother's hand and ran away because for me, that is one of my more comfortable places to be in. I feel very at home, but- I get what you're saying about the thickness and the density there, because that's also a space you got to imagine a lot of spirits that are crossing over in there are dealing with a lot of trauma, maybe a tragic death. They're kind of holding a very heavy frequency. So there has to be a dimension that's able to hold space for somebody that's in that particular dimension. Not everybody's going to be able to jump from one to a hundred. You're not going to be able to pop into a very high frequency if you need a little time to acclimate and move through some of the heavier stuff that needs to shed off your energy field before you're able to pop into those higher dimensions. So because I am a spirit medium and because my particular abilities are in the realm of seeing earthbound spirits, I like that dimension and it's comfortable to me. I mean, I'm not saying it's super comfortable, but I feel comfortable enough in it. 
but yeah, it is kind of a weird void. It is a little shadowy and dark. It's not evil and scary by any means, but there is a almost ominous type energy that's in that space. And I think that's where you are going. But I think if you had held on to your grandmother's hand just a little bit longer, she would have pulled you further in. I think you got spooked out before you could get there though. Yeah, maybe that's a place where you have to unload all of the ugly baggage from life before you can go into the life. But I don't like that. I'm going to set the intention that when I die, I'm just going to bypass that whole I thing. have a feeling you are absolutely <laughs> going to bypass it. You're okay, good. Zip. Good yeah. to hear. <laughs> I'll probably take my time because <laughs> Because I'll be like, ooh, cool, I'm going to take a deeper look at this. But I've also had spirits show me what it looks like. And over the years, I've had different spirits in different varying states of their transition show me what that space looks like. And it's pretty cool. They've shown me what it looks like from their perspective, from their eyes. I remember, Patty, when we first met each other, you said to me, I know what it looks like when you die. And I looked at you and I said, I know what it looks like when you die. And the only reason I know is because spirit had showed me and I've never, ever talked to anybody who knew what it looked like. And Patty started describing it and I was finishing her sentence. And I think both of our jaws were open. I was like, I've never heard anybody else describe it. I didn't even know if I was making that up in my own mind, but to hear another person describe that exact same space. And I think a lot of people think that when you die, you're immediately hurled into a tunnel of clouds and met with all of your loved ones. And I think that probably happens for a lot of people. But there's also, like I said, almost like a couple layers between that space and that ultimate elevated bright space. I think right when you go, that's like the processing point, that space where you got to process that you've actually died and what that means. And are you okay with that? And then from there, everything starts elevating or going in the direction that it's meant to go. Are you meant to stay stuck and earthbound? Are you going to be swallowed up by your own fears? Or are you going to be okay with what's happening? And your vibration starts lifting and that's when you're met with your spirit guides and your loved ones and eventually taken over to the other side is the way I see it. But maybe don't start your astral traveling there. (laughs) (laughs) Save that for another time until you're a little more experienced. Maybe go visit a loved one, you know, or, or go to another planet or go to, you know, a historic site that you've been wanting to go to. Or go back in time. Yeah. Go go back in time. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the first things that I did when I was playing around with it was trying to go back into time or go into the future, but I didn't have a good gauge to decide how far forward or backwards I would go. It was almost like everything would start spinning like a wheel and like wherever the wheel stopped is where I would end up. And this was in the beginning days of me doing this. I lost interest over time. I wonder if I started applying that practice now, how pinpointed I could get. But then again, as a psychic, when I'm reading people, I know that as you stated before, when you are viewing other people's past lives or even your own past lives, that that in itself is also a form of astral projection. And as a psychic, when I'm reading people, what I literally do is leave my body and then merge over to somebody else's energy field. And that's how I read them. It's sort of my way of protecting myself because- I decide how close I want to get or how much I want to feel. And if it's feeling a little sticky and a little bit intense, I'll step back a little bit. But I do all of that astrally. Yes. And I have had clients that astral travel all of the time. And this is something important to discuss as well. 
when we are in trauma, we leave our body because it's not safe to be here. And just like we can turn to alcohol or drugs or food as a way of separating from reality because it's too painful, astral traveling can, like those, become a little bit of an addiction. We can find ourselves in a place where we're much more comfortable away and out of our body than in our body. So it's important that this is used as a tool and not as a replacement for reality in life because your soul came here to experience this life. And if you can astral travel or astral project to get assistance with that, that's wonderful. But if it becomes a place where you're much more comfortable than reality, that's where it can be a little bit of an issue. And also, you are not allowed to use it to stalk people. <laughs> now, <laughs> I have to admit that when I was younger, I used to astral travel to go visit people that I was interested in. And I don't do that anymore because that's not allowed. That builds up some bad karma. And just, just the same as if you're getting a psychic hit on somebody, you want to ask if they're supposed to hear that information. And then you ask them. There are ethics around reading people. And there are also ethics around astral traveling. You want to do it for the right reasons. And one way to start out astral traveling, which is amazing, is to just step out of your body and look at your physical body from the outside. And the first few times I did that, I was amazed at how outside of my body, I could look at my body and not be critical and not beat myself up or complain about different things. I was able to go out and look at myself with compassion and love, which is sometimes hard for us to do when we're actually in our physical body and trying to do that. So that might be a wonderful first step is to step out of your body and look at yourself. You can look at your aura from the outside. You can look at your physical body. You can look at your chakras. You can look at your emotional state. Sometimes I help make decisions with astral traveling to step out of myself a little bit, out of my ego and try to do it from there. And a couple of ways to actually practice astral traveling, as I mentioned before, is yoga nidra. And you can find YouTubes where it's a guided meditation and you do it first thing in the morning or before you're going to bed and they help guide you into that. Also, there's a meditation called a rope climb. This kind of reminded me, Jude, of what you were talking about, that silver cord where you visualize a rope and you visualize climbing the rope up through your chakras and up and out of your crown. So our crown chakra is where our soul came into our physical body and where our soul leaves the physical body. So this is a great place to travel out through your crown and do some astral traveling and then coming back in through your crown. And then one of the earliest meditations that I did was when you slowly go through your body parts, starting with your toes and then your feet and then your ankles, and you just allow that area to fully relax and work your way up. So what you're doing is you're gently relaxing each aspect of your physical body one at a time so that that can lead to letting go of your physical body. And then from there, you can travel outward. I have a little heart condition and my heart rate will go too fast. And sometimes if I'm not able to stop it with meditation or breathing, I have to go to the hospital. And what they do is they send a medication through my veins that actually flatlines me. It actually stops my heart, hopefully for just a few seconds, and then it starts back up. And while I'm doing this, I'm watching the heart monitor and watching my heart flatline. And when this happens, it is such an instantaneous out-of-body experience which, you know, I asked the doctor, did I just die? And they're like, no, you were still breathing. But I actually lose all sensation of my physical body. 
instantaneously for the amount of time that my heart stops. I don't feel like I'm outside looking at my body on the table, but I'm definitely not connected to my physical body. My doctor was saying that he had a young girl that had this, and I think he said she was nine or 10. They did this when she flatlined, she started laughing hysterically and asked them if she could do it again, because she said that she felt like she was flying around the room. So it was such a trip. It's just so fascinating to think about near-death experiences when your heart stops and you go into this space and actually being conscious and having your heart stop and feel that sensation. So it is a sensation of actually not being in your body. When I've gone into the void before, I will actually say to myself, wow, this is amazing. Wow, I don't feel my physical body at all. It's really a healing and fascinating experience to play with as long as you do it carefully. Holy smokes, Patty. No wonder you're so psychic. Like, I didn't know that about you. That kind of scared me a little bit when you were telling me that. That's got to be a super intense sensation and experience and to just literally on a machine watch your heart stop. Yeah, it's pretty insane. Yeah. (laughs) I've like had a couple inadvertent out-of-body experiences when I literally had the bejesus scared out of me. Like I'm about to die kind of experience. I had a car crash or I was about to get a car crash. And I distinctly had one of these, like I popped out of my body and looked around 360 degrees and then narrowly escaped it and got back into my body. So when they say the bleep scared out of you, or (laughs) it's like literally my soul jumped out of my physical body, I think almost to avoid the experience or avoid the possibility of having a traumatic physical experience, injury or whatever. And that's a common thing when people are being traumatized or abused, that they will leave their physical body and just to not have to experience it from a physical place. So I've had that happen a couple of times, but I've never had a legitimate near-death experience or known that my heart has stopped or anything like that or had any recollection of it. That's spooky. Yeah. You know, I wanted to go back to um, when you were talking about the popping or the cracking sound coming in and out. I've never had that. I've never had an auditorial experience when I'm traveling in and out. I have, however, had experiences where when I come back in, I will go through a little bit of a physical shaky, out of physical control sensation. And so I'm curious, you know, do you, do you think that's similar to the popping sound? Like if some people just don't get things auditorily, they might get it in a sensation form. Yeah. I think I've gotten it both ways. Usually when I'm coming back in, it's the jolty shaky feeling, but on my way out, it's the noise. And for me, it's, it sounds like a door slamming down a long hallway. It always sounds exactly the same, you know, and there's almost a thud that I'll feel right in the center of my head it feels like at my pineal gland and I'll hear this a few times and I'll actually see flashes of white or yellow gold light while this is happening. Yeah. I've seen the flashes. But if I don't make it all the way out and I slam back into my body, my whole body jerks and reacts, I think to coming back in. There's also another phenomenon that we explained a little bit in another podcast, but I'll explain it again is when people have the sensation that somebody is holding them down and they can't move their body, but they feel like there's another presence with them. Mm -hmm. I read in a book, I don't recall which one it is. And it explained that this is actually your own astral body that is halfway in and halfway out. Like it's stuck. It hasn't been able to fully come back into your body for whatever reason. 
And because of that, your physical body feels paralyzed because your energy body's not in there to activate it. And the presence you're feeling is actually your own astral body outside of you. Sometimes people associate this with sexual feelings, which can be very uncomfortable, but it is described that this is the sensation of your physical body waking up, like your feelers, your neurons firing off. And that's what creates that sensation. I'm not here to confirm or deny that that's exactly what it is, but I am somebody who used to have that experience a lot and it made a lot of sense to me. But I also don't want to discredit anybody who really truly feels like they're having some sort of spiritual attack because I do feel like I have for certain had similar experiences that felt very supernatural. But then there's those other times where it's like, I'm consciously awake, but I can't move my body and it feels like something's there and I feel sensations in my body, but I'm not frightened more than just out of the fact that this is disorienting. That might explain that to some of you. Hopefully that settles some nerves for those of you who might be experiencing things like that. I mean, as you guys can see, there's so many different ways you can use astral projection and astral traveling. It's not a black and white experience. There's layers to it. There's deeper levels that you can go with it. You can work with it from a more subtle place that feels more comfortable, or you can choose to dive super deep with it and become like a master at astral traveling. I think that's about it for our information on astral traveling. Again, just be safe when you do this, be prepared, set your intentions, do a lot of grounding so that you feel comfortable grounding and confident in that before you do this. And now we are going to go into a couple ghost stories. Jude is pretty much a walking ghost story. And it's so interesting to hear these stories. A lot of them I have heard, but she sometimes shares things I haven't heard. You should like have your own TV show just with your ghost stories. (laughs) So my ghost stories today are kind of theming in the realm of crossing over and helping spirits cross over. This was right before I met Patty, and I was kind of at that peak moment of understanding my own psychic abilities without the assistance or guidance of anyone else. So I was feeling pretty strong, but I still was learning and I still didn't know a lot. So I think I should first explain that as a clairvoyant, when I'm looking around at people, I do see things on people's aura all the time. The difference is I'm not diving in to try to understand the distortions or the anomalies that I might see on people. For example, I can see if somebody's got a really clear aura and then I can see if somebody has haziness or murkiness or muddiness in their energy field. And I just see it and it it doesn't mean anything to me. It's not my place to dive in. It's not my place to tell anybody what it is. Maybe it's a trauma or an issue that they're not yet ready to deal with. So having said that, this is something in the way that I see commonly all the time. It's not always super apparent, but sometimes it's almost like these flashes or just like a quick little glimpse into what's actually going on with somebody's energy field. So at this time I had a friend, I had only known her for maybe a year or two at this point, but I did notice that there was something about her aura that always caught my eye. And because this was before I actually started being a professional psychic, I was still in that place of skepticism of my own abilities and I would catch it. And what it looked like was if you had taken about a basketball size of slime, like the kid's slime that they play with in a clear to hazy yellow color and had plopped this right over 
this person's head. So this like gooey haze of this kind of slime looking gelatinous energy was plopped up over her head. And if I looked at her just right in the right light at the right angle, it would almost sometimes look like she had Vaseline in her eyes. And it was this blurry haze that would go over her eyeballs, sort of kind of how you see glaucoma. But clearly to me, it was not something that was happening in the physical. It was definitely energetics. And every so often I would catch just a little glimpse of this here and there. And I never said anything to her. I just didn't feel like it was my place. I didn't know what it was. I didn't even know if I was actually seeing that or making it up in my own mind. It was kind of one of those situations. Well, as I got to know this person and she understood that I had these intuitive gifts, she got brave one day and asked me, if you ever see something on me, will you please tell me? And at that moment, I looked at her and I could clearly see the things that I had been seeing on her for the past year, just in these little glimpses. And I was like, well, actually... I do see something on you. And she's like, what is it? And I was like, well, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but maybe I can get it off of you. So I asked her permission to do some energy work on her. And I started kind of sweeping the energy of whatever it was I saw on top of her head off of her. And it was moving off of her in these clumps, kind of like when you're clearing cobwebs out of a house where you're gathering them up and pulling them off and it's kind of stringy. And I'm pulling it off and I pull probably like four or five sweeps off of her head. And I can see that that hazy, yellow, gelatinous looking blob thing is getting clearer and clearer and her eyes are becoming more clear. And then all of a sudden she's like, whoa. And I'm like, what? And she said, ever since I was little, I've had this blur in the bottom right corner of my eye. And she said, I've been to the doctors, the eye doctors, nobody can ever explain why I'm seeing it. They say there's nothing wrong with me, but this blur has always been there. And she said, it's gone. She's like, wow. it's, it's gone. And I'm like, whoa, you know, cause I could see that Vaseline looking anomaly in her eyes disappearing. And then just as I'm watching the blob that is still there remaining kind of creeping back over her face, she's like, oh, it's coming back. It's coming back. So I immediately start trying to clear more energy off of her. And I'm doing another two, three, four sweeps. And then all of a sudden, I saw a face and it scared me. And she's like, what? You know, it scared her. And I was like, I didn't want to tell her what I saw. I wasn't even sure what I saw. It was like this face flashed at me. It was sideways on her head. It wasn't matched up with her face. It was almost like it was laying on its side. And it was this super wrinkly old face. And I could even smell an old person when I saw it. I could smell, I don't even know if old people smell a certain way, but it just smelled old. So I started sweeping some more of this energy off of her and then boom, the face flashed again. And I jumped back again. She's like, tell me, tell me what you see. She was starting to get freaked out. And the second time I saw the face, I saw it with more clarity. And it was just this total knowing that that was a soul of a person that was stuck on her. And I knew that it was her grandmother. I just knew it with every bit of my being, though I've never known anything about her grandparents if they had passed or anything. And I said, do you have a grandmother that passed away? And her jaw opened and she just looked at me so intensely and she's like, yes. 
And I immediately just felt really guilty that I just suggested to her that her grandmother would be doing this to her. And I was immediately apologetic. I was like, no, 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 no. I'm so sorry I suggested that. I was like, I don't know who it is. I don't know what it is. It just looks like an old woman. And, and she's like, no, no, no. This makes so much sense. She then begins to tell me how when she grew up, she had this grandmother that lived with her and she was really old. I think she was like in her nineties and she was in a wheelchair and she always just knew that there was this old woman in a wheelchair who was always just like quiet and hanging out in the house. And I think about the time she was around maybe five or six years old, that grandmother had passed away. And an interesting thing to note about this friend is she lost all sense of smell when she turned about 20 years old. And at this time she was in her thirties and she's like, I get this smell every once in a while. And it's my grandmother. It's the only thing that I can still smell. And I knew and understood what was happening in this moment because what my friend couldn't see that I saw was from my perspective, it looked a bit scary. She looked kind of like a parasite or like a leech on her. It wasn't a good look. Let's just say that I was almost in the way speaking to her and her grandmother at the same time. And I said, I know your grandmother doesn't mean to be doing this, but I think she has been there for so long that she has surrendered so much of herself to live vicariously through you, likely because she was afraid to cross over, that she has lost all sight of herself. I was like, I don't even think that she has conscious awareness anymore that she's even doing this to you. And I said, I think she just needs to know that no one's mad at her for doing this and that it's safe for her to go back home and be with her loved ones. And right after I said that, I heard this voice, I believe it was my spirit guide that said, walk away from her. And so I just walked away from my friend. About a minute or two later, I heard a voice, the same voice say, look at her. And I turned around and looked at my friend and my jaw dropped because right when I looked at her, she looked so luminous and so bright. Like it was like light beams were shooting out of the top of her head. And I was so excited, I yelled out, it's gone. And at the exact same time, she looked at me and said, she's gone at the exact same time. And I went up to her and I was like, oh my gosh, you look so different. You're so bright. You're so clear. And she said, when I walked away, she could feel her grandmother's presence with her and told her, grandma, I love you and I miss you, but you can't stay and it's time for you to go. And she said she felt this heavy weight lift off of her and everything got brighter and clearer. And when she looked up, she saw her grandmother's face floating off into the sky into a light. And right then is when I turned around and said, it's gone. And then me and my friend just hugged each other and started crying because it was literally at that point, one of the most beautiful crossing overs I've ever experienced. And to be able to share it with somebody that I really cared about wow. was really amazing. Yeah. It was awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. And then I think I met you a week later <laughs> and that's how that all went. <laughs> wow. Well, I have one story that's kind of on the same vein as this early on in my work. I had a local woman that I knew our children went to school together and she called and said that she had some negative energy in her house and would I come out? And immediately I knew that it was an earthbound spirit. This is probably one of the first spirits that I've moved. So I took a huge bag full of stuff. I had essential oils and herbs and stones with me. And I went over there and I felt it 
really strongly in one room. And I said, is this where it hangs out? And she said, yes. And I said, and it's masculine. And she said, yes. And I said, and he's about your age, maybe a little younger. Yes. And I started talking with him and I called him out into the living room out of this little dark room because I was kind of frightened. And I was putting, you know, safety bubbles around she and I and then safety bubbles around the couch that we were sitting in. And I made him sit over on the staircase across the other side of the room. I was putting all these safety measures in place. And he sat there on the stairs and he was holding his head in his hands and he looked up and he just said, I am in love with her and I can't leave. And I looked at her and I said, are you aware that he's in love with you? And she said, yeah, I've totally been getting that. And that's why I've allowed him to stay here for so long. But I feel this heavy presence. It feels, you know, a little negative to me, probably because he's an earthbound spirit. And I feel like I'm constantly being watched and it's too much. And she said, and I've been patient with him and trying to get him to leave because I know he doesn't mean me harm, but, but it's, it's too much for me. So I was explaining to him how difficult it's been for her and he was shaking his head and that he, he realized that. And by this time I could see him really clearly. And there was an elderly woman standing behind him and he was sitting on the bottom stair and she was up like three or four stairs behind him. And she just showed up and she was just glowing in this beautiful kind of pinky light. And I said, oh, there's somebody with you. And she told me that she was his grandmother and that she was trying to get him to cross over. So I asked him, I said, she would like permission to come closer if you're comfortable with that. And at first he said, no. And we just sat there for a while and chit chatted. And then he finally said, okay. And she walked down and then she put her hand, uh, I'm going to start crying. So she walked down a few stairs and she put her hand on his shoulder and he just turned into this sobbing child. And she was clearly a being that had crossed over. You know, she was all light and beautiful. And when she touched him, he just, it's almost like he rolled into this energetic ball. And I could tell that he was still fighting it, but to have that sensation of his grandmother touching him was really starting to soften him a little bit. And he told me that she had been trying to talk to him for a long time and that he had been keeping her at bay because he felt that he didn't deserve to be in the same space that she was in. And that the love that he felt for this woman whose house I was at was the closest thing that he had felt to joy, not only in his physical life, but in this space of being earthbound and, and stuck and not being able to cross over both of us were bawling at this time. And then all of a sudden he just stands up and he starts walking through the house. And I stood up and started following him and he walked outside and she and I were standing in her kitchen, looking out the window. And there was this lovely fruit tree in the yard and he went and he stood right next to that fruit tree. And then the grandmother just had kind of disappeared. Then all of a sudden this beautiful column of light came down over this tree and over him that was just almost blinding, just this beautiful light. And it started swirling, almost like if you had dry ice in a room and you had made some movement with your arm, how it would start swirling. It was just this fabulous swirling white column of light. And then he looked up at her and got this biggest smile on his face. And then he just lifted up and out. And we were both just like frozen in awe. And she said that she, there was something magical about that tree, that when she bought the house, that tree had been planted, but that she just loved that tree. And she was in this very forested area and there was this little fruit tree. So 
instantly when he left, the whole energy in the house changed. It's almost as if the lighting in the home changed. It just felt like the sun had come out and there was light in the house and it felt airy again and not so heavy. And she and I were just flabbergasted. And I spoke to her that night and I spoke to her a few days later and that energy was gone. And she made a lovely altar to him and, you know, wished him well on his transition and said goodbye to him. And that was my first experience with helping something cross over. And I don't feel that I helped him cross over. I feel that opening the conversation with him and somebody connecting with him and explaining to him that his grandmother was there and that she had good intentions and that he deserved to cross over and that he would feel better on the other side because he just was holding on to this love for this woman because it was the only thing he had that felt positive at all. And so it was so hard for him to let that go. And they'd never met in the real world, by the way. So that was my first crossover experience, which was just beautiful and amazing. Wow. That was so beautiful to hear. And I'm so with you. It's like in those moments, watching spirits cross over, you just can't help but have your heartstrings pulled. It's a very emotional thing to witness. It makes me want to cry every time too. <laughs> and yeah. that is so beautiful. And I've totally experienced very similar things, Patty. And also, like you said, like the atmosphere in a space in a house, when you help a spirit that has been kind of haunting a home, just change. Like the air gets sweeter, the light gets brighter, the colors become more vibrant. It almost yeah. feels like the house itself got bigger, you know, like there's more space. So my next story actually has to do with the same woman that I just told about helping her grandmother cross over. I would say this was maybe a year or two after that. And at this point in time, I've gotten a little bit more comfortable with my abilities, but I certainly didn't know everything and anything about crossing spirits over. Oh my gosh, it was Halloween night, actually. So this Whoa. is very fitting. I just, I forgot that this was a Halloween night. We actually went to go see a concert and we didn't really hang out the whole night, but we were all having fun, good time. And we decided to rent a limo to take us to this after party. And we all piled into the limo and my friend was sitting across from me in the limo and I'm looking at her and I can see something on her. That's kind of reminding me of that time that I saw her grandmother on her, but a little bit different. It was more like this gelatinous blob that was hanging on to her right shoulder and kind of sort of pressed onto the side of her face. And I'm looking at it for a moment and I'm a little bit braver at this point. And, and she's my friend, but I'm looking at my friend and I'm like, there's something on you. And she's like, what is it? And I was like, I don't know, but it's right here on your right shoulder. And I like reach out and I'm trying to swat it off of her. And as I'm swatting at this murky orb that's hanging out on her shoulder, it starts moving and it starts dodging me. It like moves over to her other shoulder. And then I try to swat it off that shoulder and it starts to become like this bug that I'm trying to swat off of her. And I'm starting to get mad because I know now after it started moving that this is a spirit. And it felt like it kind of had this kind of heavy negative energy to it. I wouldn't say evil, just, it was just a dense, icky feeling energy. And I was getting mad and I was like, get off of her. And She's kind of standing there all stunned and I'm trying to swat it off. And this thing starts kind of swatting back at me. And next thing I know, I'm in this kind of like slap fight with this spirit and I'm trying to push it out of the window. Like I'm like, get off of her, get out of here. Like you can't be here. And I'm 
loud. I'm actually talking out loud. And uh, as I'm kind of fighting it, like it's this disgusting pest that needs to get out of our party kind of thing. I had this really kind of crappy attitude with it. She's like, well, what is it? Who is it? And it made me stop when she asked that. And I started looking at it and I was like, oh, well, well, it's a man. And I said, he's like in his early twenties, he's got brown skin, dark hair, and he starts talking to me. And it's like, oh my gosh, he's not from here. He's speaking Spanish. And it clicks to me because this particular friend lives in Costa Rica for half of the year. And she told me some time ago that she lived in this valley that was known to collect spirits, like the local people said about this particular valley that she would live in. And I said, oh my gosh, it's a Costa Rican spirit. She had just got back from Costa Rica not that long ago. And when I looked at him and I said this, my heart was filling up with more and more compassion for him because now I suddenly wasn't looking at him like he was some pesk that was killing the vibe. I saw him as this human being that died young and was just so desperate to be seen and acknowledged. And I felt so ashamed of myself that I was slapping him like a bug trying to get it off of her and kick him out of our party, you know? And he looked at me kind of with these eyes that were sad, just kind of giving me a lesson. Like I just wanted somebody to see me. And right then I saw him turn into this beautiful orb of light like a golden light with almost this like rainbow geometry. I don't even know how to, it was like a crystalline star in the center of this white light orb. And it just exploded. It was just like the only thing I could see in front of my eyes with this huge flash of white light and this rainbow crystalline geometry in the center of it. And then whoop, and it blipped out. And I just started crying because this was a huge lesson for me as a healer and as a medium and having a greater sense of compassion for what spirits are and what they are actually trying to convey to us in the living. This guy wasn't a pest, you know, although he felt heavy and negative, he was still a human being. And if you can imagine doing that to any living person without even taking a a moment to have a little bit of humanity and just say, hey, who are you? What's your name? What are you about? You know, just casting somebody off as though they're scum. So anyways, that's the story and that's how I learned to treat spirits with respect and to not judge a book by its cover sort of thing and take a moment to see what you're dealing with and treat it accordingly without jumping to conclusions and making judgments and being a nasty person to another soul because they're not much different than us in the living form. Like they're just out of their body. So that's that story. Wow. That's a lot. So you obviously felt this energy as being negative though, right? You didn't just, it didn't just feel like somebody had invaded your party. It felt heavy and negative. So it's just interesting to me that how, how do you not be judgmental when things have an energetic feel to them? The difference was deciphering what feels negative and heavy and what feels evil and malicious. That's the difference. Oh, I like that. Yeah, that thing did not feel like it had any bad intentions. It was just such a low concentration of such a low frequency energy. It was almost just like, what is that? Like, why is this here? Get out of here. Like, and not that anybody else was bothered by it, but I'm the sensitive one and I can see it and it was killing my vibe and I wanted it out, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So um, 
So compassion. I learned compassion. Yep. And I remember too, when I saw that flash of light, cause I instantly started crying at how beautiful it was and what a beautiful spirit this being actually was when it was able to cross over how that relates to how we treat other human beings too. When we argue with people and it's tit for tat, you say this, I say that we're kind of get caught in these cycles with arguing and fighting with people. And if you could just take a moment to step out of that anger and that frustration with somebody and just look at them for who they are and not for what you need or expect of them, fighting is not one-sided. It takes two people to do that and perpetuate that, that sort of energy. And so I also learned that in that moment as well. Big Very lessons. cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So to lighten it up just a little bit, I'll tell a little story. I was reading this lovely man and near the end of the reading, he had mentioned this Native American blanket that was handed down from his father. His sister had it for a while and then he had it back and it was hanging on his wall. And he was a little concerned that it might have some negative energy because there'd been a lot of pain and heartache and a lot of death in the family that this blanket had experienced or been there during this time. And, you know, I had never read a blanket before, but I started looking a little deeper at this blanket in my mind's eye and the blanket started speaking to me and it was made by a native man that put a lot of love into this. And it was gifted to the man that I was reading, his father, with a lot of admiration and love and respect. And this man that wove this blanket was very wise and really had a strong belief in his spiritual practice and his spirituality. And this was all woven into this blanket. So right off the bat, I was thinking, well, how can this blanket have negative energy? And the blanket started explaining to me that its purpose, like a blanket does, is to comfort people. And that this blanket's purpose was to assist this man and this man's offspring as it's passed down with their personal journeys to be something of comfort to help them tap into wisdom and strength and their spirituality and balance that out. So it was this lovely blanket that was here to assist them. And as I'm explaining this to my client, we're on Zoom on, on the computer, this vertical band shows up on my screen with this very distinct Native American pattern, kind of that triangular pattern that meets you know ver a very old, distinct pattern that you would expect to find in an older Native American blanket. So it shows up just to the left of him and it's kind of like flashing on and off. And I'm like, well, what is that? And so I kind of laughed and I told him, and I said, yeah, there's some glitch going on the computer. But as I look at it, it looks like this really strong Native American pattern on the computer. And I just realized that it wasn't a glitch, that it was some energy coming through. And I tried so hard to take a photo of it so I could show it to him. And I record my Zoom appointments. And afterwards, it did not show up on the recording, but it was there for the rest of our reading. And it was just such a trip. So even though that story doesn't have any ghosts in it or earthbound spirits, it was pretty interesting. I felt like it was just a little validation, a little gift, a little blessing that was shown, kind of like the blanket thanking me. Yeah, I have similar experiences too, where people who have passed that are really connected to particular objects, like it was their favorite object, or they made that object, or 
because that object brings the person who is still living's consciousness to that person. There is this sense of the ability to read these spirits who've crossed over through these items. In fact, in the beginning, when people wanted me to try to speak with people who have crossed over, I'd always require them to bring an object of the person who had passed because it would help me. I, I don't do that anymore. I don't need it anymore. But in the beginning, it really helped me to hold something. Very cool. So we're going to end this podcast. I'm going to share with you my most profound and most favorite spirit ghost story. And after that, it's just going to segue into the song that I wrote that goes with it. But before I start that, I wanted to say thank you to everybody who's listening. And if you ever want to reach out to me and Patty and see about our offerings, you can visit our website, which is spiritspeakerspodcast.com you can also go to our instagram at spirit speakers we are going to be putting out some classes coming after the new year so you want to be signed up for a newsletter which you can do through any of our websites which can be found on the spirit speakers podcast website thank you for listening aloha thank you and take care So I'm going to share with you a story that's very near and dear to my heart. It's probably the most epic in life altering spiritual story that I have. This had such a profound impact on my life. And I was so moved by this experience that I wrote a song about it. So after the story finishes, I'll play the song to close out this podcast. I need to bring you back to a time in my life. I think I was around 25, 26 years old. I had just had a major life event that had set me at one of my lowest points I've ever experienced in in life. And at this point was the one and only time that I had seriously considered suicide. For those of you who have been there, it's a scary place to be. And along with that came me questioning everything about my reality. So I had abilities. I was psychic, but I didn't have any guidance. I didn't have anyone to anchor me or validate me in that process. And I had to learn everything about the psychic realms the hard way, meaning I had to do everything you weren't supposed to do or experience everything that I shouldn't have to experience because nobody was directing me on how to navigate my abilities or give me spiritual tools that would help protect me, help me feel more grounded. And there wasn't a community available either in the way there is now on social media or even through podcasts like this, that you could hear another voice that could collaborate what it is that you're experiencing. So because this was at a point in time that I was trying to accept my gifts and not fight them and utilize them and kind of run with them, the whole thing ended up exploding in my face and my life took a downward spiral and I found myself left with nothing and nowhere to go and not really sure what I believed in anymore. And this was certainly a point in time that I might have just accepted that maybe I was crazy. Maybe this was just all a big joke on me. So I wrote off spirituality. I wrote off wanting to be psychic. I didn't want to see anything. I didn't want to hear any voices anymore. And it's not so easily said to just turn off your abilities when you're really open like that. A friend that was very concerned of me at the time called me up and said, I just bought you a plane ticket and it leaves in a couple hours. You better get on the plane because she was worried about what I might do to myself. 
because I loved her so much and I felt like this was a huge gesture on her part, considering she was a single mom and didn't have a lot to spend this money on this plane ticket. I ultimately decided to get on that plane and head to Kauai, a place that I had never been before. And in my mind on the flight over, this was the last place that I needed to go because as I saw it, I needed to start piecing my life back together and being out in the middle of the ocean didn't seem like the best starting point for me. So I landed on Kauai, cried my eyeballs out for the first month. Like I said, not sure if I believed in God, believed in spirituality, believed in my abilities, anything like that. Slowly, I started to get back to the swing of normal life. I got a job, started making money, and my goal was to save up enough to start making sense of my life. Well, a few months after I had moved to Kauai, I didn't really know anybody. I'd barely just got a car at this point. I'd only pretty much stayed on the east side juggling the jobs that I had and slowly starting to meet some of the locals, but I didn't really have any friends at that point in time. Well, this one night, I get this call from somebody I just met, and he said, all of our friends are camping out on the west side at this beach, and I wanted to know if you wanted to come hang out. And I had nothing going on at that moment. So I said, sure, you know, how do I get there? And he's like, basically take the one road on Kauai, drive it to the end. You're going to park your car and then I'm going to meet you in my truck. And then I'm going to drive you out to this beach because it's down a very long, rough road. And you essentially needed four wheel drive to access it. And this was maybe, you know, about dinner hour that he had called me. So by the time it took me to get out to the meeting spot on that road, it was going to be already nightfall. But I was down for an adventure, mostly because I had not even left the east side. I'd never even driven to the west side yet, and I wanted to see it. So I drove out there. He met me, picked me up in the truck. It felt like it took quite a while to get out to the beach, and it's nighttime, so I can't really see where I'm at, except for the fact that when I stepped outside, clearly I was on a massive beach it was cradled by these really beautifully shaped silhouette of mountains and the stars were impossibly beautiful, just so vibrant and bright. And there was a gazillion stars stretching across the sky and you could make from the faint moonlight off in the distance that the beach stretched on forever and ever. So all of his friends were there kind of gathered at the campsite and they're starting to cook food and everything. And I don't really know anybody. So my anxiety is already at this point pretty heightened because I was at that point, I was a bit anxious around people because I am very open and empathic and sensitive. And then I don't know anybody and it's nighttime and I'm in some different area. You know, just the combination of everything, the energy was very heightened. and, And here I am on this very, very isolated place somewhere on this island that I hardly knew. And I immediately start feeling my anxiety is just heightening and heightening and heightening. And I'm feeling very uncomfortable. And so I told this person, look, I'm just going to go take a walk down the beach by myself for a little bit. Don't worry about me. I'll come back because I didn't really want to explain to him that, you know, I'm a little bit strange. Uh, (laughs) Let's try to make a good impression. So anyways, I walk down the beach and I'm sitting there and this anxiety is starting to really consume me. And next thing I know, I see this spirit kneeling down in the sand in front of me. 
And what was most startling about the spirit is that he did not look see-through to me. Like there was no translucency to his presence. Up to this point, anytime I had seen ghosts, they looked kind of see-through or I could only see parts of their body at a time, but not this full embodied head-to-toe spirit that I could see in such full detail and not see what was happening behind him. But there was definitely a clear sense that it was energy. It was a spirit. There was no confusion that this was an actual person sitting in front of me because orically he looked very clear to me, meaning I could see all of the wear and tear on his soul. I could see the heaviness in his spirit. I could see it on his face. I could see it on his color. He looked like drained of life and drained of color. And he was this young man about my age. and. Um, it scared me. And I start freaking out because I'm at this point in time in my reality where I don't want to see spirits. And the fact that I'm seeing one so clearly is startling me. So I get up and move. And then he follows me. And I get up and move again. And he follows me again. And then he reaches out his hand and he starts poking me in the shoulder. And when he poked me, it felt like a living, real 3D person poking me in the shoulder and it scared me. And I kind of snapped at him and I said, I see you. Is that what you want? Just leave me alone. And I'd get up and move. And he'd follow me again and poke me again. And then he said, those are my friends over there and they can't see me like you can. Can you please help them see me? Because I miss them so much. And at this point in time, like I said, because I had such a horrible experience in this last year about my abilities, I said, I don't believe you. Go away. Leave me alone. And I get up and move again. And he follows me again. And he's begging me, please, please. He's crying. He's so sad. I can feel like all of the pain and the longing that he has for his friends. He's like, I just miss my friends and I want them to see me. And something came over me in that moment because I felt like I was talking to one of my peers. This person was my age you know, he was relatable in a weird way. And I said, look, dude, you're dead. Your friends can't see you. And you're not really helping by sticking around and staying around them. Your energy's really heavy. I'm pretty sure that there's a place that you can go. Some people call this heaven. It's home. And all of your friends and all of your family and anyone you've ever known and ever loved is there. And the great thing about this place is that there's no time there. So if you go there, it'll be like a bat of an eyelash and you'll be back with all of your friends. And to be honest with you, when I said this to the spirit, I wasn't even 100% sure that that was true. I can tell you up to that point, I had seen lots and lots of spirits and I have tried a handful of times to help a spirit cross over. Anytime I'd ever seen a spirit prior to this point in time, I always wanted to help them, but I just didn't know how. I didn't know if there was a gateway or a doorway or where it was or what it looked like or how do I access it. But there was always this deep sense that I was supposed to help these spirits that I would see. It just didn't feel right that they were where they were stuck in whatever way that I saw them. And I tried a couple times to help spirits cross over. Like, for example, one time I told a spirit to go to the light like I seen in the movies and uh, that didn't work. I think it was really because I didn't even know where I was supposed to send them. I didn't know if I even believed that they 
had a place to go on the other side. I just really wasn't sure at that point in time. So I think that my insecurity about it conveyed to whatever spirits I was talking to so that they wouldn't listen to me. They didn't cross over. This time was different. This time I was like over it. I was like unenthused at the idea of seeing spirits. This person seemed like my peer. I didn't feel like I was trying to impress him. It was more like, look, I'm going to tell you what I know and either you're going to hear me or you're not. And other than that, I need you to leave me alone. So after I tell him this, I see him kind of contemplating what I'm saying. I could see like the light bulb go off in his head, like, wow, this makes sense. And then I saw him shrink into this orb of this white light with these rainbow colors in the middle of it. And he flashed off, like he flickered like three, four, five times and went off into the sky and disappeared. And I was immediately like, oh my goodness, I just helped a spirit cross over. And I got so excited. I was like really proud of myself. Like, wow, oh my gosh, I did it. I, I think I had just helped the spirit cross over. And before I could get too elated or excited, there was another spirit, then another spirit, then another spirit. And before I knew it, I had about four or five different spirits all squatting in front of me as I was sitting on the beach, staring at me intently. And all of them had a very heavy and negative energy to them. And as I was explaining earlier with Patty about the difference between a negative energy and an evil energy, it was just a low vibration. And when you're not used to feeling an energy that drops in that way, it can be frightening and scary and you can be suspicious of what its intentions are. So I immediately start getting uneasy about what the intentions of these spirits are. They're all men of varying ages and colors of skin, but I kind of got the vibe that some of them were not so good. Like I felt like one of them had inappropriate thoughts about me. I felt like one of them had a violent tendency. I felt like just this really kind of creepy, intrusive and almost violating energy with them. And so I got up and moved and they followed me. I got up and moved again. They followed me again. And next thing I know, I feel something bump into the back of me. And I look up behind me. I just lift up my head to look what's going on behind me. And there's a spirit there. It's this tall man with glasses. And he bumps into me and he starts kind of cussing. And he's like, what are you doing here? You're in my way. Get out of my way. And just scurries past me. And I'm like, what is going on? You know, and just to let you know, like I was not calm during this entire experience up to this point. My anxiety and my fear was escalating by the second. And when I felt a spirit bump into me and literally knock me forward, I jumped up like I was going to run. I didn't know where I was going to run to, but my mind was thinking, I think I'm in some weird like hell pit where all the bad spirits go and I need to get out of here right now. And I get up and turn around towards the mountain because I had been facing the ocean. And what I saw was up between the crevices of two of these hills, there was like a pinpoint of light and there was hundreds, maybe thousands of spirits walking down from this pinpoint of light down the mountain and congregating on the beach right where I was sitting. And then when I looked out over the ocean, they were all walking out to a pinpoint of light over the ocean towards where the mountains end over the ocean. And when I was standing up, I realized I was standing in a crowd of thousands of spirits, just endless, like crowds, like rows and rows and rows of heads walking from point A to point B. 
And I immediately knew there was nowhere that I was going to be able to run. And it was so overwhelming and intense. And I started shaking uncontrollably. Like it was just like my body went into shock. And I'm looking up over the mountain. And what I'm noticing right away is that all of the spirits are like instinctually walking from that point over the mountain down onto the beach and then out over the ocean. And they're not paying attention to anything. It's almost like they almost have a little bit of a trance-like walk, like an instinctual walk. None of them are carrying anything except the clothes that they're wearing. And they're all walking slowly and methodically out over to this light over the ocean. The only ones that would not continue this walk were the ones that were walking directly by me. So what would happen is I would see these spirits as they were passing me and the ones that were passing immediately by me would almost be startled and stunned by my presence. And they would kind of jump out of their trance and look at me and then out of their own curiosity would start poking me and touching me just to see if I was real. And I'm sitting there so overwhelmed and blown away by what I was seeing. And of some of those spirits that walked by me, I was talking to some of them. Some of them were asking me, oh, who are you? I'm like, who are you? And I can tell you that every single soul that walked by me that I interacted with, I knew how they died. I could feel it. I could see it. Some of them were even physically, I could see what had happened. Like I could see evidence of how they died. I won't go into detail because, you know, you can just use your imagination, but I could see some of the energetic imprint of the trauma their bodies experienced in their passing. Not only that, but I could feel the full scope of their like emotional load, like their overall frequency that they had developed in, through their entire life. And it was on them like this cloak of energy, just like this blanket of all of their deeds, good and bad. And because life is challenging, pretty much every spirit that walked by me, I felt like was tipping the scales on the more negative end. For example, I had an Asian man that walked by me that must have been in his early 20s that had a drug overdose, and he was a homosexual and very flamboyant and sassy and all of that. He walked by. I saw this other man who was like a kind of a Western rancher type man. I could tell he was just a real jerk his whole life, just real angry and testy. I saw an overweight man who I know wasted his entire life sitting in front of a TV eating junk food and not giving a care for himself or anybody else. I saw people that I knew had murdered and raped and stolen and taken advantage of people. And it just felt like everybody had this intense level of negativity around them. And I'm getting more and more frightened by the moment. And then all of a sudden I see this entire family start walking towards me. They're wearing like the traditional African fabrics and wraps. The woman's head was wrapped up and it was a woman and her husband and she was carrying a small child, like a little toddler and young son. And they're all walking towards me and they're smiling. And of the whole crowd, it seemed like they were radiating this more positive energy. I could feel the wear and tear, meaning like I can tell these people were good people and they worked really hard. The struggle to survive took its toll on their energy, but they were good people at the core of their beings. And that was obvious to me. And when I saw them walking towards me, I was just so desperate to feel some sense of security and safety. I kind of like etherically grabbed onto them was like, who are you? Are you here to protect me? And they started smiling and laughing as they got closer to me. And they said, no, 
we're here walking just like everybody else. And as they were walking towards me saying that, I could smell the smoke from the fire that they had all died in. I could see the charred fabric of their clothes and the burn marks on their skin. And I knew that they had all died as a family in a fire. And they were all now taking this walk just like everybody else. And it was in that moment that I met them, I kind of stopped and I let my fears melt away for just a moment. And I really looked around and I said, wow, there's men, there's women, there's old people, young people, gays, straights, black, white, Asian, Mexican, every color of the rainbow. There are good people, there are bad people. There's all walks of life and nothing, not even your sex, creed, color, sexual orientation, or even sins, if you will, made any difference on whether or not you two were walking side by side from one light down this pathway to the other. And I was just overcome with this sense of mourning and grief. And I was just crying, crying as though these souls were my very own children dying. The sense of grief and mourning I felt for them was like no less than what it would feel like for a new mother to lose a precious child. And I just felt this so deeply in my soul and I start crying and I know with every fraction of my being that wherever these souls were going to, they were going to be cleansed and cleared of all of that baggage, the cloak of their life and their experiences. And they were going to be given like a fresh start, like a new clarity. And I knew whatever was over there, over the ocean in that light was unconditionally loving and accepting to anybody. And it didn't matter who you were or what you've done, so long as you were willing to take that walk in that direction. And I fell to my knees, kind of buried my head in the sand and started crying. And I started praying because I knew that I had just had one of the most horrendous years of my life. I knew that I made a lot of terrible choices. And in hindsight, I wish I had chosen better. And I knew whatever level of forgiveness that I felt these souls were about to receive, I really, I just wished for a droplet of that for myself. And next thing I know, the friend who had invited me out there is tapping me on the shoulder. And I look up at him and I look around the beach and there's nothing, no spirits, no portals, no lights, nothing. It's just him and me on the beach. Like it had never even happened. And I'm kind of like getting up out of the sand a little stunned, like what just happened? I, I'm flabbergasted. Like, did I just dream that? He's like all lighthearted, like, hey, the food's done. If you want to come grind, we're going to eat. And so he brings me over to the campsite and his friends are look at me and they're like, what do you think of the beach? You know? And I was like, contemplating on whether or not I was going to share with them what just happened to me because I want friends. I don't want to freak anybody out. And I end up telling them the story in its entirety, just like I just told you. And they're all sitting there silent. And I said, do you guys think I'm crazy? And one of the local guys said, do you know where you're at? And I said, no. And he said, this beach is called Polihale. And it means house of the dead. And the kahunas, the elders here say that this is the exiting point for all souls on the earth before they go back to God. And when this man said this to me, I don't know how to describe it to you, but it was like this massive weight was lifted out of my spirit. And it was almost like my own soul itself filled up with light. 
because this was the most profound validation that I have ever had as a psychic or clairvoyant, that I saw something that was bigger than anything I'd ever seen in my life before, and that the ancient people of this island recognize it for being exactly that. I'd also like to note that I found out about a year later that the Dalai Lama, when he came to Kauai, there was only two places that he came to visit. And one of them was Polihale, and the other one was Kalalea Mountain on the east side. And he visited those places specifically because it's written in Tibetan scripture that those two places are portals, the east side being where souls enter and the west side at Polihale where the souls exit. So in addition to that, but to know the Dalai Lama actually recognizes this island of holding those two portals for all souls on the earth was such another huge validation for me. So just to give you a little bit more meaning behind the name Polihale, Polihale has been translated house of the dead or house of the underworld because Hale means house and Po means the dead or the departed or the underworld. It has multiple translations and I guess there's confusion around it because the other way that it is translated is called house bosom. And I believe that both of those translations and the meaning and the intention of it is very well suited. Because if you think of bosom, bosom is when you are born and you are a baby, there is no place that feels safer and more comforting and more loving than in the bosom of your mother. So knowing that these souls are transcending, are crossing out of their physical bodies and transcending to a very high vibrational place that feels like home, a house. And whether we want to call that the house of the dead or the house of the mother, the bosom, whatever it may be, I truly believe that this portal place is exactly that. And it is pretty much the reason I think that I'm here. That place is so important to me has such significance to me. It is my most favorite place on earth. It is where I go to pray and meditate. It is deeply, deeply sacred and a powerful vortex. And I've been there many, many times. And I will say that I have never seen what I saw in that first hour that I was there ever again. But I have certainly seen many spirits there and have had many conversations and connections with beings on the other side. I've also heard stories from other intuitive people that they've had similar experiences there. So if you are to ever visit this super sacred portal space, please tread lightly and, and treat it with the utmost respect. So with that, I'd like to share with you the song that I wrote about it. Thank you for listening. Aloha. Just trying to find my 
If it leaves. 